Are you ready to learn? Because my super experienced guests are ready to share some really valuable information. Make sure and listen all the way to the end to get help and support. So let's start with the best audio experience. Hello, everyone. Good people. Welcome to our show. By the way, I don't want to discriminate bad people. Welcome to our show as well. Anybody? Welcome. And today I'm excited to discuss about a simple approach of customer research with Ryan Paul Gibson. How are you? I'm very good, Anatoly. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing great. And uh, it's interesting, you know, when uh, I analyze LinkedIn profiles, I usually search for great speakers to my show and I found yours. Uh, yeah, I got it. I need to talk to you to learn more about you because you have extended experience. And uh, I want to start from the simple question. Oh, you have two uh, names, uh, Ryan, Paul, can you tell why? Uh, well, Paul is my middle name. Uh, it's actually my dad's name. Ah, um, okay. It's really just a branding thing, to be honest. It's, it's nothing like special. It's just so I can stand out. And so if people see me, it's like, oh yeah, that's him. It's just it's such a lame <laughs> an- such a lame answer to your question. But yeah. that's that's why I put it there. It's just so people can they know who I am right away. Yeah, in marketing, it's important, you know, when you stand out from the rest. Because uh, in most cases, uh, projects try to copy influencers, uh, yeah. big projects, and uh, it's hard to overcome them by using their approaches. By the way, even Dale Carnegie uh, shared on his books, uh, don't copy others, be yourself. Nobody yeah. can copy you. And what we can see today, it's uh, generic content, nothing special. Uh uh, when uh, some influencers uh, get viral on TikTok uh, and uh, a thousand others copy their approaches and can't get results. Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. Before we start, just tell about your experience, background, and why you decided to take this topic. Yeah. I mean, so I've been in marketing for about 20 years. I started in B2C marketing. I used to run mar- more operations, but a bit of marketing for... Um, a chain of coffee shops in Canada. And that is actually where I got my first taste of doing customer research because especially, you know, back then trying to get what I would call primary customer researchers, which is what I do, which is just talking to customers. It was really expensive. We couldn't afford it. So I just had to do it myself and I would go into the stores. I would start talking to people. I do observational work. I would go into the lines of my competitors and start talking to customers. They'd think I was just another person buying coffee, but I was really just trying to profile them in real time. People thought I was crazy, but I just needed to understand why and how they were making decisions about this chain over us, right? And um, I did that for a while. Then I I decided um, I wanted to change careers. So I went back to school, took journalism, broadcasting, ended up being a reporter, TV and radio for three years, which was great. And then I got the itch again and decided I'm going to go back to marketing. And I took all those years and started applying that sort of approach of research to my marketing career again. And that's really what I've done since then. And it wasn't it was really in the last six months that I've decided to go back full time into customer research. Because I, I think regardless of what you're selling, I want to know why and how people are making decisions about why they buy me. Because if I can understand that, I can then influence it as a marketer and the earlier i can get in the consideration set all the research shows that i have a higher chance of closing that deal 
get in revenue, right? So that's why I do it because I think it's your best chance to win marketing. Yeah, love it. And you know, I like from your story uh, when people uh, felt you are crazy. Uh, I can show, <laughs> I, I, I can tell you why. You know, because uh, once I listened to audio podcast with Tony Robbins, and uh, he uh, had a guest uh, uh, lady. I don't remember the name of this lady, but she created a company, a billion dollar company. Mm-hmm. And what she did, she tried to sell uh, fax machines. Uh, uh, by knocking to doors, to many doors, you know, and uh, to sell something that others don't need at all. Uh, but, you know, uh, uh, she got a, uh, not experience confidence. You know, uh, when you do what uh, others can't, you can get this confidence. And she uh, uh, shares uh, the story. Uh, it's better to uh, kill your uh, shy, shameless, you know, just do what others can't. And she tried to sing uh, in the lift with uh, crowded, uh, with many people. And uh, she felt not good at that but it helps to improve confidence. Yeah, uh, that's why I, I love, uh, you know, I, I have my, um, uh, I always tell my son, uh, 11 years old, uh, when he uh, filmed uh, videos on TikTok, I, I told him, be yourself. Don't care what others might think about you. Just do what you like. Uh, yeah. uh, and um, I remember when I started to film uh, my videos, uh, I felt for me it's better to break my leg than film my first video, you know, yeah. Um, that was shameless experience and yeah, just consistency can <laughs> help to overcome all these obstacles. That's why I love it, love it. Okay, can you tell more about customer research? Why brands need to do it uh, and where to start? Yeah, so maybe just to build on what I said, I mean, it's your best chance to try and win marketing or at least set a foundation for a strategy. Let me explain that a bit. So um, there's different types of philosophies. There's philosophies around buying journeys. So, you know, there's the classic sales funnel, whereas like top of funnel, mid funnel, bottom funnel. Um, there's other ones too, where like McKinsey has their consumer journey. There's the flywheel. Um, I, I tend to operate under the, mod, the model of jobs that be done which is an innovation framework created in the 1990s by Clayton Christensen. So it's figuring out like people don't just wake up and decide they're going to buy a thing. What they do is there's a chain of events that happen that uh, push them to a tipping point. And they're like, ah, this is whatever's happening now can't keep going. So I need to go find something to solve this. And this is what I want to happen after I solve this problem. Jobs be done, figures out, well, what's that transition? What's that journey look like for them? And then there's other ones where people will say, well, um, I hear product marketers talk a lot about this, where it's people can be um, problem unaware, problem aware, solution unaware, solution, uh, solution unaware, solution aware. And it's really just sort of the same framework. They're all really the same when you break them down to brass tacks. But what you're trying to figure out is what's the starting point of that journey? And what's the end point when you close a deal? The reality in B2B today is my dashboards and Google Analytics and every type of tracking cookie UTM thing I got (laughs) can only capture so much. All those things, but the the buying decision or the process is a buying decision. All the things we're thinking about happen way before people even get online now into the areas we can track. So I have to understand how they're thinking and map that out. Otherwise, 
by the time they get to me, they might have already made their decision. They're just sort of using me as a sanity check against other products or other tools. So I want to do this research and go and talk to people because I want to understand how they're thinking, how they're making decisions about products, and how can I influence that? So where do you start? Well, you start really just by figuring out who does you want to talk to and what your objectives are for research, because those things can be very different. So you want to, that's where you start first to answer your question. Yeah, yeah, valuable. Uh, for me, it's high level. You know, when you use tools, uh, data, it's not even close uh, when you are talking to customers directly, when you uh, yeah, learn from them. And um, uh, yeah, well, the data just tells you what happened. It doesn't tell you why, right? And mm -hmm. that's not a new thing. Marketers have been talking about that for some time. But I, I work mostly in software, SaaS. And maybe it's just because of how I've my careers unfolded that I find it very natural to go out and start talking to customers. Uh, SaaS companies, very interestingly, you know, they get they talk a lot about they focus a lot on churn, but focus a lot on feature sets, building out new elements of a product, which is all good. You need to do that stuff. But when it comes to that early part of you know how they found us and why they wanted to talk to us in the first place, they don't have a lot of conversations there. Mark teams don't have those conversations as I find um, maybe in bigger companies bigger companies they do but as they're going they don't so I think that's why I like to focus on that part because I think if you can understand that it really influences marketing because the data that marketers operate with only gives them a small window of what's actually happening yeah yeah I think yeah love it okay uh, can you tell about um, uh, converting this data for example yeah. you got data you analyzed customers yeah. What's the next step? How to uh, use this data? How to uh, tell uh, or I don't know how, yeah, how to provide for uh, software as a service companies or any other this data? Uh, we need to create content better uh, or yeah. optimize our products. Yeah, more insights about that. So, you know, since I'm, I'm dealing in qualitative research rather than quantitative, there's a lot of work that happens to sort of get it in a framework that you can use it in your marketing. You don't just talk to a customer and they just tell you everything you need to know. Um, you know, there's a, there's a framework to interviewing these people and figuring out and pulling things out of them. So I like to operate in sort of four buckets. I like to think of what are their problems, pains, and anxieties, and that can be in their role or in the business in general. Like what are their problems? And for the problems that they're having, that they want to come and maybe look at my tool to solve it. Why are those problems existing in the first place in their business? Like, what is it about their business and their role? I then like to think about um, the first thoughts or the triggers or the catalysts that cause them to go and search. Like, what was was there one or two or five things that sort of all fit together that someone's finally said, okay, I'm done. I want to go off and find something now. How do they research? So what's the process of them and where do they go and who do they talk to and um, you know, how do they find, you know, different tools to think about? And the last one is how do they evaluate them. So that's typically the, the actual sales conversation. Like what are the trade-offs? Who are the people that are involved in that decision? What red flags are they looking for? You know, what are they, how are they poking me to see if I'm lying or not, or I'm so, mm -hmm. not selling something that's I'm trying to sell a, a piece of junk, whatever. Right. So those are the four buckets. And then I put all this together in my interviews and I look for themes and patterns. And that's really it. There's way more to it than that, but that's the crux of it. So then what I do for marketing is all those things, all those parts 
are the journey that I take to get to my to a closed one in a marketing journey. So I look for keywords. I look for content themes. I look for the words they use to describe their role and the journey and the emotions they have. That's my ad copy. That's my voice of the customer. That's all those things. We often do these things in isolation. We'll go to Google or we'll go to forums or we'll look at our competitors and we'll build personas, you know, in a white or on a whiteboard or in a, or in a boardroom. But the problem is that doesn't take into account what the customer is actually saying. So I take all those themes and patterns and emerging trends and I translate them into marketing. So let me give you an example. So um, I work with a SaaS company part-time now called Rewind. And when I was speaking to some target ideal clients around our GitHub backup solution, because Rewind sells backup uh, software, one of the things that kept coming up in some of the conversations was, I used to do it this way when I, when I worked uh, with the giant server rooms and now everything's in the cloud, but I didn't know where all, all the problems were the same, but I didn't know where any of the solutions were. So I'm thinking, oh, okay, well, we can create a roadmap for someone who wants to go from the old way to the new way. That's a piece of content that lives at the top of the funnel that helps someone like navigate that. So that's one way. And then there's also keywords. You, you work in SEO. We found one high intent long tail keyword that kept coming uh, phrase that kept coming up in interviews that we weren't going after. We were missing out. We were leaving money on the table. Yeah. So, you know, that wouldn't have, we wouldn't have seen that in HRFs or, um, you know, or in SEMrush as something we want to go after because the search volume was low and it didn't seem too relevant to us. But guess what? After talking to the customers, it was very relevant because it was one step of the journey. So that's why I would translate those things into marketing. And it, it, you just totally change the game when you can take qualitative research, map it with your quantitative data, and now you're really cooking because you're doing stuff that your competitors probably aren't. Yeah, 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 like it. Uh, by the way, uh, HRFs, uh, SEMrush usually take data from Google Search Console, uh, uh, Google Keyword Planner. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. And, and uh, Google doesn't provide uh, the correct data because <laughs> this tool was created for paid marketers. Yeah. And, yeah, uh, and I think all competitors can use these tools. Yeah. Uh, if you can find something, and uh, by the way, volume is uh, controversial. Uh, you don't yeah. know exactly which tra traffic you can get. And yeah, long tail keywords uh, sell a lot more. You know, if you find this keyword, why not? Uh, if tools can show, that means you can be alone. You know, to yeah, like with that. that long tail phrase um, that we found, the search volume is super low, right? But here's the thing. We have other, one, we have other similar um, pieces of content that have the same search volume, but they're driving, you know, half the traffic are going to a demo or an install of the software because it's such a high intent problem. And we are mm -hmm. the next step in that solution. So yeah, of course I want to be there. I want to have skin in the game there. So, you know, it's really important not to get seduced by high volume. It can work for you. But there's all these other uh, nice gold nuggets that you can find and use to your advantage if you go and look for them. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, your methods uh, are related to the time when we uh, had no tools. 
you know, yeah. when we had no data <laughs> and yeah. companies use this data. And today, uh, companies rely a lot on tools, uh, on uh, the average data, but uh, customers want a personalization, you know, yeah. if you can't personalize their experience. Uh, yeah, it's hard to win this game, especially Google considers user experience. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think the tools are important. Don't get me wrong. Like mm -hmm. I'm not anti-technology. I think a tech stack is important because it helps in so many ways. But you know, when I when I went back to marketing, so this is 2011, I had no idea really what Salesforce was, which sounds crazy now when he when he, when I say that out mm -hmm. loud. But I I'd never used them back in my old role. I used fax machines and one eight hundred numbers. Like that was only five people out of an office of twenty five had emails, right? That's how I started my career. So I was used to having to do a lot of legwork. But when I saw Salesforce for the first time, man, was I ever hooked. I was like, this is the answer. Like all this inf data that I would have loved, you know, years ago, now I have in my fingertips. And then I realized probably a few years ago that we've over-indexed, we've over-relied on that because it's so easy to think that this is what's the, what the reality is, but it's only part of the reality. Because um, if you talk to most buyers, they're making all sorts of decisions before they even know you exist, right? Or they're getting, they're talking to peer groups or they're going on LinkedIn, like you, how you and I connected or what have you, right? There's all these ways they're learning about possible solutions before they even hit Google or a website. So if you can help influence in that sphere, you're going to greatly increase your chances of getting them as a customer. Yeah, got it. Okay, uh, what do you think about uh, uh, artificial intelligence? Uh, because today, uh, yeah, it's it's growing. Mm -hmm. And uh, do you feel it's a competition with your methods or uh, oh, it's uh, additional data? That's a good question. Like, I'm not an AI authority by any stretch. Um, <laughs> you know, I think the technology is fascinating. Don't get me wrong. I think like AI, Web3, blockchain, all that stuff is so interesting. And I think that's going to have its place. It's already starting, right, to influence. And you can see a lot of how things are shifting there. Um, I, I think it's I, I th just my little exposure. The machine will always struggle, to, I think, to um, replace humans ability to analyze subtext and uh, emotions because yeah. a word you know a word can have so much subtext to it based on how we say it right and ai might get there and be able to um, analyze those such of things but for what i do there's a lot of you know reading humans and understanding nuance that a computer maybe doesn't necessarily get right now, even for what I do with transcriptions to break it down to something really basic. So, you know, I transcribe all my work whenever I do an interview because I want to see 100% accuracy. I want to see all the words they're using, especially if I'm going to be using these things in ad copy or, um, you know, some type of landing page scenario where I want to drive urgency and convert. Um, if I use like the tools that do like a lot of the tools are only 80%, maybe 90 and they're not perfect. So, you know, I like, I prefer actually to pay for <laughs> like human transcription now, mm -hmm. even though, but as a shortcut, if I don't, if I, if someone doesn't have budget, I'll always say to them, use AI enabled because it's going to cost less. 
So I think that technology is getting better every year. Will it replace humans? I don't know. Probably not. But I am not like an Elon Musk, you know, some, you know, visionary. So it's like, who knows? Maybe that stuff's already happening now. And I just don't know that it's existing. <laughs> yeah. Elon Musk is awesome. <laughs> okay. Uh, I found on your LinkedIn profile uh, that you can help uh, to create fresh messaging campaign and copy ideas. Yeah. Can you tell more about that? How to create copy ideas and uh, all this stuff? Yeah. I mean, so it, it comes really out of what I just said around talking to customers. So give me an example. I worked with a, a marketing agency. Mm-hmm. Pr- predominantly, they were in search, SEO and, and performative paid ads. And I went and interviewed a slate of their customers. And out of that, I found, I think it was 27 unique uh, content and campaign ideas. Because they're all based around blockers in the journey to this company. So, for example, when I talked to them about one of the things they wanted, uh, people were saying, or customers were saying, well, I didn't really want an agency. What I wanted was an in-house partner, an in-house team. That wasn't a full time. That's a very different mindset when you're thinking of like an agency that's outsourced versus someone who's an internal team that's part time. So, you know, that could be like how to find your first, um, you know, int- um, part time team, you know, or how to build out your part time marketing team. No, no, right? Like there's all these things you can use in these interviews to spur content ideas because when that person is at the point where, okay, my marketing needs to grow. I don't have budget for full-time staff. I need to find an agency. How am I going to make decisions around who I want to hire and who's going to give me value? If I can give them something like that ahead of while they're considering that, or even before they need, they start looking, there's a greater chance they're going to come to me at least and be, I'm going to be part of the consideration set. So that's going to mean I can help with content and copy ideas, right? Or because it all comes out of the voice of the customer. Does that answer the question? I hope it does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I found you are staying. You are not sitting. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm standing. Your... Yeah, cool. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, uh, my brother is staying the whole day. Uh, yeah. I usually stay a half of day. You know, I have this table. And now it, it can change. <laughs> yeah, I stand <laughs> most of the day. I... I just, I, I can't sit and get to, yeah. Ah, yeah, you need to talk to customers to, to, yeah. <laughs> to go to yeah. them. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, like it. Okay. Um, uh, can you provide more about uh, marketing budget? Uh, because I found on your LinkedIn, you know, I, I analyzed <laughs> your profile. Yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, how to uh, find the, the right marketing budget, especially if we, if we have limited budgets. And, uh, for example, I often see when uh, the company can uh, uh, share, uh, I don't know, like uh, uh, $100,000, you know, to for uh uh, whole products, but uh, when the competition is huge, it's better to pay attention with best-selling best products, you know. Yeah. Can you tell more? Uh, because we, we need today uh, to consider uh, unique selling proposition, yes, because uh, yeah, uh, we can't compete with, uh, with all uh, competitors on their strong side. It's better to highlight your USP. Can you tell more about marketing budget? Yeah, Yeah. do you mean like, so if I have a limited budget, how am I going to compete against yeah. the bigger players? Yeah. yeah. I mean, ever I think uh, different people are going to have different thoughts on this. How I come to it is, I look at it as okay. Um, what is the landscape of the market that I want to be in, right? What are the problem 
problems or problem, usually it's problem is the best place to start, the core one that I'm solving, it's hard to be, it's hard to really sell more than one thing in the market and be noticed, right? Um, at the early stages. That's why you see a lot of people talk who, who you see a lot of business academia over the last like 40 years. It's all about niching or finding some type of a unique value proposition, what have you, right? Like there's one really core thing that you can do really well, or you can build noise around that you do well. You know, category creation would be another way to look at it, right? If people talk about that. So find that one thing where customers who are coming to you or buyers who are coming to you are converting fast and saying, that is the thing that I need more than anything else. And if you can take that and compete on that one feature or one unique value proposition, I think that's where the budget question comes in because then now what happens is if I have a, if I have a good narrative around how I'm solving a unique problem for a unique set of people and I'm doing it better than anyone else and I'm moving the needle this way very quickly and fast, you don't need to spend a lot of money in marketing because you'll find those people that have that problem. Right. And then it then becomes an amplification thing. And where do you have it? So let me give an example. It's like with Rewind. Um, one of the things we do is we saw um, if you look at the terms and service conditions of most SaaS tools, they actually don't protect your user data. Um, they don't guarantee that it'll always be there. And most people are surprised to, to read that. But it's in most terms and service conditions. So you go to GitHub, Salesforce, what have you, Shopify. And you scroll down, they're like, we will not guarantee everything you've put in this machine is always going to be there. So you need to back it up, right? So that is one of our unique advantages that we can do that and restore that data faster and better than anyone else. So that's all I talk about all the time. I don't look for new ways to talk about their product. I don't think of all sorts of fancy new marketing things. That's my core positioning that we believe that um, in the next 10 years, all SaaS companies uh, most businesses are going to be SaaS for SaaS enabled. They need that data. And we can do this part better and faster than anybody else. I don't need a big budget to do that. What I need is the ability to have a message that's consistent and a narrative that makes sense for the people that have that problem. Yeah, valuable. Got it. Okay. Um, let's talk about um, SaaS companies. Mm -hmm. um, uh, for example, they have uh, unique features. Um, and um, from my experience, it's better to learn uh, about uh, these features because how you can market them if you don't know exactly how it works. Uh, provide your insights about that because uh, we have uh, two approaches. The first approach uh, from Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk. They uh, uh, proclaim that you need to be customer-oriented not uh, competitor oriented yeah. uh, the second uh, is uh, from bloomberg bloomberg usually uh, analyzes competition and uh, try to be better than uh, competitors can you tell more about uh, learning uh, new uh, SaaS uh, companies that will uh, cooperate with you uh, and uh, how to lead them in the right direction by learning their uh, customers yeah yeah Wow, you're lumping me into some big names that I don't even know if I should even <laughs> throw down there. But I appreciate you think I have the acumen. Um, you know, Bezos and, and Musk are like visionary guys, right? Yeah. Right? So it's just like they, they're they looking in 10 years down the line. Whereas I can't speak to uh, Bloomberg, but, you know, 
um, they have a sort of different approach. I, I think what really, um, there's a difference between like, where is the, the future headed? Where, where's the world going that I want? And I think that I'm going to play in that world or how can I build a better mousetrap than what already exists? And can I do it cheaper, faster, better? Both are passing to the market, right? You can do that. Um, you know, I can, and you can see that in all sorts of industries and verticals where I might be trying to build the future versus I'm just trying to get, I'm trying to capture existing demand and compete on either price or place or brand or what have you. And companies have been doing that forever. So, you know, I, again, I think it just comes down to understanding what the opportunity is and where do you see a gap? And then how do you position that product in that? So I, this doesn't really answer your question, and I'm sorry. But, I, you know, it's all contextual because different business models are built different, differently and the path into the market is different. So let's, let's say I have, a pen, I have a pencil here. And this is like, um, I'm going to sell this pencil. This is a big pencil. And it retails for like 50 cents. But I've been able to figure out a pencil that sells for 35 cents, right? then and i the, i can make all the margins work and it's a commodity and people will probably buy that when they need a pencil so i just need to maybe just blast a bunch of ads over um you know facebook instagram youtube i'll do like a billion tiktok pencils whatever <laughs> like whatever right because it's a commodity and the stakes are low but if i'm building the next amazon that's so different and you know that's thought leadership and creating a new category and trying to educate people. It's a longer game. So their ad spend doesn't really matter, right? There's that whole thing about like people say must Elon like Tesla doesn't have marketing. Well, they do. They just have they don't have in the way that we think of it. They have a huge brand and they have a huge community. And you know, their products, they're so like you said, customer focused. They just make sure that everything they do makes sense for the customer. And then those people talk about it and spread that message and they evangelize, right? Like talk to a Tesla owner. They will not stop talking about a Tesla because they're so proud of it. And they're so, they know the status of it. So I, <clears throat> I think it all, it's all relative to how you want to get into the market, right? You can be customer obsessed. That's great. Or you can be, mm -hmm. you know, build a better widget and see if you can flood it into the market. I don't know if that answered your question, but you know, <laughs> I, that's you know, what I'll I think, say. Uh, I think, you know, when Elon Musk is saying that uh, Tesla doesn't have marketing, I think Elon Musk is marketing, you know? Yeah, he is. <laughs> everything, everything what he's talking, it's marketing, you know? <laughs> you know, yeah. he's a every time he tweets, it's a headline. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that's marketing. It's just a function. It's a part of marketing. It's public relations, right? Yeah, it's influence marketing, you know? Uh, yeah, whatever yeah. you want to call it. Whatever it is, he gets attention. And that's mm -hmm. what matters is he wins the narrative for the day. Okay, um, I found a, uh, in your profile that you can help with creating a buying journey. I think, yeah, uh, it's yeah. the main topic uh, of, uh, 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 of customer research. Uh, provide more insights. How to create a buying journey, uh, for example, for, for a new product? Yeah, for a new product um, is going to be a bit more challenging, right? Because you might not have people to talk to yet. Um, so again, it comes down to understanding like what it is that, what is the value you bringing, um, that people are really zeroing in on. So I'll talk about, you know, my business maybe a little bit here. So, um, 
the value I'm trying to bring is I work specifically with B2B marketing teams to help them map out marketing for the buying journey. There are other people who do what I do in other capacities, right? So some people do it in churn, focus on churn. Some people focus on product development. Um, some people focus strictly on sales, right? And they do buyer discovery there. So I think if you have, and I didn't have any customers at the beginning. I started. So what did I do? I went out and I talked to uh, two dozen CMOs and VPs of marketing and asked them, how do you do customer research? Walk me through that. That was it. And it was just a conversation. Interesting. What, you know, how do you do that? What do you want to do? What are you missing? What would you like to get? You know, would you like someone to help you with that? You know, would you like your team? How would you like your team to do things differently? Just general discovery around that. And from there, service offerings started to appear, right? And marketing. And now that's basically what I do on LinkedIn is I just talk about how I help different people in the buying journey. So if you have no customers, you can go find these people, either in networking groups, uh, LinkedIn's one, Twitter. Um, you can even use platforms to pay. So there's um, there's companies that connect you with uh, like mind or people who might be your ideal client that fit a profile, and you can go interview them for 40 minutes. You probably usually have to compensate them for their time. But I would start there. And then it's no different than what we talked about before, where it's where the pains, problems, anxieties, where are they looking? How are they, um, sorry, what is the catalyst first trigger for them to go purchase something? Where are they looking? How are they evaluating? You know those four buckets? You're going to start building a marketing strategy and maybe one small campaign that you can figure out test right away. And that, mm -hmm. that's it. You just build incrementally over time. Okay. Uh, if we have customers and uh, some companies uh, have the challenge you know, to create uh, ideal customer, for example, um if they have buyers from women men adults teenagers how to find it it's not a, about demographic data it's even interest you know they're different how to create this ideal customer oh like you're talking ideal customer profile mm, i mean like a buying persona yeah okay i mean personas are, are sort of a i won't say controversial but i mean they're not, I've always found them, you know, to be lacking in so many ways. You know, I was that person who used to build personas in the beginning, right? Out of things I'd find on the web or like talking to people internally. And that's an okay place to start. But I, again, I still like to find, okay, um, who is it that I think is going to get the most value from my product? And there's a few ways to do that depending on where you are. So let's just say you're, you're, a SaaS company, you already have a list of clients. Um, one of the, if you talk to people who do this work and other people who work in customer discovery, they'll say one of the fastest ways to look at the, or easiest way to look at this and find people to talk to is who recently just closed and who closed the quickest. So however you measure that. So say you, you know, someone took six months to close but someone took six days. I'd rather talk to that person took six to six days because the affinity for your product was very high. I'm mm -hmm. theorizing. And they, they seemed like they wanted it. Like they just knew right away, this is a thing that's going to work for me. Well, why, how did they know that? What, like what connections did they make in their brain to say, this is the thing. Here's my credit card. Thank you very much. 
I want to talk to that person over the person who spent six months hemming in hind and hmm, at a first step, right? Because that person I talked to that took six days to close is going to unlock all these things about this is why it solved my problem. And this is why I needed it. And this is how I evaluated over the others. And this is why I think you're the best. That all becomes V1, not just of your marketing, but also your persona, right? What are their pro What is this person's problem and pains? Um, what are their responsibilities? What are they looking for? Um, you know, what do they need to move the needle on? All those types of persona work. But rather than it, me talk to the sales team about it or customer success, I'm getting it right from the source. That's how I like to build personas. So I see them as the end result of research um, and, and, you know, uh, talking to an ideal client. So that's how, those are the people I would look for uh, when it comes to building a persona. I hope that answers the question. Yeah, of course, of course. And, uh, you know, uh, from my uh, experience, uh, I have much higher results with uh, customers who understand SEO. Uh, yeah. Can you tell uh, if someone want to cooperate with you uh, or uh, with uh, anybody who uh, is providing such services? Uh, how to learn about uh, this niche? Uh, how to understand uh, about customer research? Uh, or, for example, if someone wanna uh, work in this niche, yeah, yeah. So, so, how does someone like if someone wants to how learn... to how to learn it? How to yeah. learn this niche? So, <clears throat> they can follow me on LinkedIn. That's all I talk about. <laughs> so that's one way. It's self-serving statement, but um, the two places I would start. If you're in SaaS, um, Intercom, which most people probably know, which is they do chat and uh, I believe email, I can't remember, but they've been around for a few years now. They have a, a massive ebook on the jobs to be done methodology, which I mentioned a few minutes ago, which is was an innovation framework created uh, by Clayton Christensen in the 90s. And Although they they used it predominantly for consumer goods, and when you when you read about it, it's mostly around you know consumer products. Intercom took all that and wrapped it into a software uh, setting, and it's the only one I've seen that I think really dives deep into how jobs be done. And just as a reminder, so I'm trying to figure out like people don't wake up and decide they want to buy a thing. There's a transition over time. What is that transition and what are the things that are triggering them to go and find a solution and why that solution over everything else they can do? Not even just direct competitors, but indirect things, right? Because there's there's also the, there's always a status quo. I can do nothing. I can live with a problem, right? Because mm -hmm. maybe there's other priorities and your thing is not a priority in my business. And I've seen that where people have known about a solution for years and have said, that's a great solution. Not a priority for me yet. Why? Right? I'd like to know that as a marketer and as someone who sells this thing. So anyway, that's a digress. So Intercom has a great book. If you Google Intercom, Intercom Jobs Be Done. And then I would just start with the Jobs Be Done methodology. The go-to person for that is Bob Moesta. Um, he was around. He helped Clayton, Chris, Clayton Christensen create the Jobs Be Done framework. I would start with those two places. I think that's a great place to start with customer research. Um, and again, I have on my site a list of questions that people, which is contentlift.io, mm -hmm. where people can look at the framework of how I would ask uh, questions in an interview and start there. Because it doesn't have to be complex. 
it's really as long as you start with um it's like anything else it's a it's a learned skill and if you start somewhere you'll get better at it so those are the places i would go to look okay guys you can find all these links in the description below <laughs> i listen <laughs> us on did Google, i set it Spotify. up already i teed it up to have it like right there <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'll submit them okay thanks ryan for your time it's valuable hey, my yeah, you share a lot of insights. Tell how people can reach out to you, learn more yeah. about you, follow you. Yeah, um, like LinkedIn, that's how you and I connected. Uh, Ryan Paul Gibson on LinkedIn. Um, I'm also on Twitter, not as much. I'm sort of dipping my toes in the Twitter waters. Um, mm -hmm. I haven't figured it out yet. Um, so LinkedIn's where I, I'm the most active. And also my website, which is contentlift.io. And I'm always just happy to chat with people. This is... This is not everyone's comfort zone, especially for marketers who've maybe lived mm -hmm. behind a keyboard their entire life um, and they've never talked to a customer. So I'm always happy just to, for people to reach out and they just want just to pick my brain on things. I'm always happy to help. Great, great. Okay, guys, you can find all these links. Thanks, Ryan, for your time. It's a big hey, pleasure. I'm my going pleasure. To use, yeah, I'm going to use some of your tips, you know. <laughs> and <laughs> and okay uh, thanks guys for listening or watching us and see you next time cheers thanks for listening to this entire podcast please rank your experience in apple spotify google or any other platforms that you may use also please share your ranking mark on chat at seotools.tv to get a special gift we'll see you soon on other valuable audio podcasts